Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. It is St. Patrick's Day today, of course, the patron saint of Ireland. And it is a weekend in which St. Patrick himself, as manager of Crystal Palace, returns to Arsenal. That, however, is a conversation for a different podcast, for our preview podcast, which we'll have for you over on Patreon tomorrow, Saturday, because we do play Palace on Sunday. This morning, we've got to get into the uh, events of last night, the post-mortem, if you like, of our Europa League defeat, a 1-1 draw after extra time with Sporting. A 3-5 defeat on penalties mean we go out. We have no more European football this season and only the Premier League to deal with. Is that good? Is that bad? Will there be an impact from the defeat last night? Will the players feel it? There were, of course, a couple of injuries as well. There is quite a bit to get into. So in the interests of getting this into your ears as quickly as possible today, let's get on with the show and... Uh, I've literally just got a text message. I'm recording this. I've just got a text from Phil Costa, who I'm doing this podcast with in a few minutes' time, to alert me to the fact that Crystal Palace have sacked Patrick Vieira. He has been relieved of his duties there. And Palace, of course, get the new manager bounce going into our game because... Of course they do. So let's just get on with this. And uh, I suppose that's as good a place as any to start. Good morning, Phil. Morning, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm all right. Crystal Palace. What a bunch of bastards. St. Patrick's Day and they sack Patrick Vieira. What, what's your biggest fear as an Arsenal fan? And why is it the new manager bounce? My my biggest fear is that Sean Dyche turns up on the touchline like, you know, three kids in a long jacket and a top hat and just starts shouting at his players to to run and put some tackles in. Mm. I mean, come on, Palace. That wasn't that wasn't very St. Patrick's-y. It wasn't. Um, first, it was, you know, Jerry Francis on his birthday. But it's my birthday. Um, it, was tre- and now- it was Trevor Francis, I think, not Jerry Francis. Oh, so, yeah. So yes, Trevor Francis, Trevor Francis, uh, on his birthday, and now, and now this. I mean, poor Patrick. We've spoken a lot on the thirty about. Mm. We were worried for him, and slowly, with each passing week, there was, you know, uh, no wins, no shots on target, fans getting a little bit impatient. Um, but yeah, I thought he'd at least last the weekend. So this was a, a big shock and I'm just, it's typical, right? It's typical, especially after the 
the kind of the trauma that we mm. we have we suffered at Everton and Goodison Park. But, you know, our job remains the same, I sure. will say. I mean, Palace without a win since December 31st. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in pure footballing terms, you can you can kind of understand the decision. And it's a, it's a bit sad, isn't it? Because he'd gone there, he'd done well. And I'd spoken, you know, a couple of times with our friend Dan from HLTCO about what an impact he was having there and, and how he was kind of rejuvenating a club which had gone a bit stale anyway because they had all these players who were in their sort of late 20s, early 30s, etc., etc. He was doing something about the age profile of the players. They do have some young, exciting talent there. But whatever happened, he sort of ran out of steam and, and not dissimilar to what happened to him in France as well. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's it's something to read into on a larger scale, this kind of trend of him going in having an initial impact and then things become stale. Mm. Um, look, I will say he had a big job at Crystal Palace. There was a an incredibly old, out-of-contract squad to mm. manage. So there was a big rebuild to, to undergo in that sense. And always when you're trying to bring in young players, I mean, we know firsthand that it can be a difficult, bumpy process. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think since the start of this year, there's been a level of underperformance that you can't really sustain, um, especially when there's so much on the line, right? We've spoken about how close the relegation battle is this year. Yeah, One win can make all the difference and they're not finding any. So it's a big shame. It would have been nice to have him back, um, you know, back at the Emirates and and for obvious reasons, we, we kind of idolize him at Arsenal. But I just think there's been a, a level that's beyond repair. Uh, and sometimes you just look at a manager and you say, I don't feel he can turn this around. And, and I've kind of felt that way for the last two or three weeks. Yeah. I mean, the thing about making a decision like this at this point of the season is you have to be sure that you've got somebody who you feel can come in and arrest the, if not the slide, just try and, and you know, get a few points on the board and, and keep you out of that relegation battle because they're well and truly in it. As we know, there's a a very short gap between 12th and bottom of the table. A couple of wins for any of those teams in there and it makes a seismic difference to where they could be, you know, the difference between safety and relegation. So I'm curious to see what decision they've come to, who they have got to come in. It might be somebody on a caretaker basis for Sunday, but I also think that if you are making this decision, and look, we're recording in the immediate uh, uh, aftermath of that announcement, and there hasn't been any information as yet. So by the time this this podcast goes out, maybe there's more clarity on that from a Palace point of view. But you have to feel like they know they can get somebody who who is ready to step in for the final 12 games of the season. Roy Hodgson again, no? <laughs> Just, poor man, let him live. Um, <laughs> He's too old for this I- shit. Yeah, I know. He's he's had enough. He just wants a a nice, easy life. I mean, it's difficult because you're in firm firefighting territory. Mm. And sometimes that can just lead you to the tried and tested, but also what manager is going to sign on a, on a short-term contract. Right. Mm. Um, So it's, you have to find a, a, a balance between, is this someone that we we can believe can help us now, but also give us something in in the kind of the short term future, mm. um, in terms of the next year, eighteen months, and not just the next few months? 
And that's a, I think that's a difficult one to strike because when you're a club like Palace, all you have is the future really, or the promise of future mm. um, to build something. So it's very difficult. I, I, I do sympathize, look, and with 10 games to go, 11 games to go, not many clubs will be uh, open to letting their manager leave. I mean, we saw Leeds really struggle to um, to replace Jesse Marsh, and that was a long time ago, you know, and they tried with Arnie Slot from Fire, uh, from Feyenoord. They tried with um, a lot of other options, and, and nobody was willing to let their managers leave. So to do it now, mm. uh, towards the end of March, is, it's, it's really not ideal. And I know they have the international break to maybe give themselves a bit more... Um, time to think shall, you know shall I say but it's tough it's really really tough you know and I, I don't envy them making that decision because off the top of my head there's not many standouts all right well look time will tell what happens there and obviously Palace are coming to the Emirates on Sunday we'll talk more about that game as I said over on our, our preview podcast on Patreon uh, which will be out probably Saturday afternoon for people so we have to turn our attention to last night's action. 1-1 draw with Sporting over 120 minutes, which ended in a penalty shootout, which we lost in, having lost a couple of players to injury in the first half. I suppose there are good ways that a game can go and there are bad ways that a game can go. And actually talking about this game uh, with Lewis in the preview part, I was like, you know, I don't want to lose. I never want Arsenal to lose. But if we have to lose this game, I would much rather it was in 90 minutes than 120 minutes because it's sort of like the most uh, devastating way that you can go out because you've lost a penalty shootout, which is tough going anyway. And you've got an extra 30 minutes under your belt, which is the last thing you need. Um, how, how do you feel about it this morning um, in the cold light of day before we get into the bits and pieces about the game itself you know i i i have to say i have more keenly felt european exits because they have been basically the be all and end all of our season uh, and i think as football fans we we try as much as we can to um well some of us do not everyone, of course. You know, it depends on, on your, your general outlook. But I think people look for the silver lining or look for the positives that they can take from things. And as we look ahead to what remains of this season from a, a Premier League perspective, you know, I can't sit here right now this morning and say I am absolutely gutted at going out. I don't like to lose. I never like to lose. Uh, but it is a, it is painful to do that anyway. So... Um, maybe I'm just trying to justify it to myself. I don't know, but that's the honest way that I that I feel this morning. No, no, I agree. I'm I'm quite disappointed um, personally because I would have loved for Arsenal to go on a European run. I mm. think it's been, you know, I personally I think in the Europa League we have unfinished business. You know, even though it's mm. a a wretched competition, we would all rather do without for the next fifty years. Um, I still think we have some 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 wrongs to right, should we say? Sure. Um, especially from, you know, even the final in Baku, which was awful, and then that semi final against Atletico Madrid that we absolutely should have won and ended up losing. Um, it has been an awful tournament for us, hasn't it? Really, when you think back on it, it's you know, yeah. And even looking away from 
from those two games in particular, we had some awful games, you know, against Villarreal, mm. the, the defeats to Olympiacos. I mean, it's been terrible, genuinely terrible. Um, so in that sense, I'm more than happy to see the back of it. But I also felt like this would have been a, a good way to kind of mark our progress and our trajectory by saying, look, we're going to win this and, and never see you again. Piss off. Yeah. Um, but, you know, ultimately there's a a bigger goal here. And I think that maybe played a part in the performance yesterday. Um, you know, which which is always difficult to assess because we don't know, right? But yeah. my my initial feeling was a disappointment to lose, but more in the circumstances because with the injuries, with the, you know, the disjointed performance, there was the obvious narrative of of Adan playing really well in their goal and then saving the penalty and yeah. having gone all the way to extra time and, and to the shootout. You know, you do become invested and to lose on home soil especially is is disappointing. But look, I think Arsenal have shown a willingness to to bounce back, to compartmentalise defeats. And we're going to need to do it again on Sunday. Yeah. So um, yeah, disappointing, but ultimately we have we have something bigger to play for this year um let's start then with the um with the team selection i have to say i had no real issues with the team selection i spoke nope. beforehand about how this was an opportunity to give gabriel jesus a start and get some minutes that was good to see i was inv invested but i was happy enough to see bakayo saka rested because i thought his performance at fulham was probably impacted by the fact he did 90 minutes at Sporting away. We don't usually get any kind of chance to rest him, so I was happy enough to see that. A lot of the other changes kind of made sense on the night. You want to be def uh, defensively secure. I didn't think he would necessarily play both Saliba and Gabriel, but, you know, uh, he decided he, he needed that, brought in Aaron Ramsdale. I mean, it was a changed side, but it was also a strong side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I I had no issues with it personally. And I think the point you mentioned there about Saliba and Gabriel both playing mostly stemmed from Jorginho also playing because I think we needed some mm. athleticism and recovery pace in, in the center because as we, as we saw yesterday, again, we do look a little bit soft um, when, when Jorginho is playing. But other than that, I thought it was fine. Odegaard and Saka rested, all good. Jesus getting some minutes, all good. Mm. That, that was a team strong enough to win the game at home. you yeah. know. And I know it, it didn't transpire like that, but in terms of the, the selection and the profiles, maybe a little bit surprised not to see Kieran Tierney. Yeah, me too. Um, what do you think that says but, about Kieran Tierney or... You know, I, there's a lot of speculation about his future and, you know, I, I'm not sure it's necessarily helpful at this point of the season because, you know, what happens in the summer happens in the summer. He's not going anywhere right now. Um, but, you know, he's not being used at all. And I do wonder what that says about, not him per se, but what kind of faith Mikel Arteta has in him at this point. We know, I'm not saying that he has a, a history of going off players. But you can read a lot into his team selections, like when a guy is being picked, when a guy is not being picked. And Tierney has been, 
you know, a really good player for us since he arrived from Celtic. He, he gave our left-back position a real boost in quality. I know Arteta wanted to go out and win that game last night. I know that. You can tell that from what he said afterwards. You can tell that from what he said beforehand. We know that he is trying to instill this kind of a winning culture. But I do wonder a little bit about the decision not to use Tierney in a game like this at all. It's it's one of those where, to me, it made sort of sense to play Tierney. And if you needed Zinchenko in the same way that when you start Nelson, if you need Saka, when you start Jorginho, if you need Partey, you have the ability to bring these players on. Obviously, the injuries disrupted the, the substitutions, and we'll talk about that. But on Tierney himself... It, it does feel like there's a bit of a blockage, if you like. Yeah, it's a shame. It, uh, Tierney is a player I have a lot of time for, mm. um, both for what he does on the pitch and off the pitch. But there is a sense of, of this team moving past him slightly. And I don't think he's the only one. Mm. Um, it's it's incredible what we've done in such a short time to raise the floor. Um and I think with Arteta, what you said there, I, I don't think there's ever any malice or ill feeling in his in his selections, but it feels very much to me that when you're in, you're in. Mm. And when you're out, you're out, you know? Yeah. And normally managers would give players a chance to, to come back in a bit and play and maybe fight their way back into the team, but he's not getting any anything, yeah. you know? And... It's a, it's a huge shame that he was ill last week because that would have been a game for him to start. And I guess that could also be considered a microcosm of his Arsenal career where when opportunities have been there or when we have needed him, he hasn't always been available. So obviously you need to take that into account. But mm. for me, it just feels like Zinchenko is what he wants in a left back or is what he wants from a player in that position, shall I say, because he's not really a left back. Um, and I just feel like he loses some some identity um, with Tierney a bit because, to his credit, we've seen him try. <laughs> you know, he's been in the centre circle. He's been trying to link play. And I think he has absolutely improved because there were a few appearances in, earlier this season where you just thought, oh, my God, he looks so unnatural here um, in terms of how he was receiving the ball, his body shape under pressure. And I think he's he's improved you know, in my eyes, clearly, but I just don't think he's he's similar enough in profile to what Arteta wants in that position. Mm. And, you know, we're out of the Carabao Cup. We were out of the FA Cup. The Europa League was back, but now we're out again after two games. Opportunities have been limited anyway. Um, and I think his role will be very much, we need to defend for the last 10 10 minutes of these games and, and we'll need you to put everything into those and, and see what happens at the end of the season. But it does feel like um, the writing's on the wall. No, it does. But, you know, don't rule out the possibility that Kieran Tierney might play a significant part in this run-in because, mm -hmm. you know, there is uh, there are still 11 games to go. They're very important games. They're very intense games. We know that Zinchenko... We need everyone. We yeah, need exactly. Everybody. We need everybody. Yeah. So the trick is... 
you know, to keep him invested, even if the future is uncertain, you've got to keep him invested in, in the short term, which is why maybe I would have played him last night just to sort of keep his keep his oar in, if you like. But look, that is a bridge we can cross um, at another point. The game itself, I think sporting began quite well. We got on top. We scored a goal, quite a good goal, actually. Lovely pass from... From Jorginho through to Martinelli. Martinelli's shot was saved by Adan, who, you know, look, I know everybody's disappointed today. And it is kind of gutting to go out on penalties. But also, I think you have to point out that Adan was probably the man of the match. He made some outstanding saves, um, you know, in particular to an injury time, which we'll come to. But he did make a save. Xhaka scored the goal. But I think what punctuated that first half or what what really is, it's hard to say that a goal isn't the story of the first half when you go in 1-0 up at halftime. But losing Tommy Asu on nine minutes and the goal had barely gone in and we were just about celebrating the goal and you look up uh, and look at the TV and there's William Saliba walking off the pitch to be replaced by Rob Holding. I mean, there was part of me thinking, well, I think this might not be our night when stuff like that happens. Tommy Asu just slipped on the pitch and looked to extend his knee and tried to carry on but couldn't. Saliba looked to be a bit of a, a back injury. I remember a cup game a few years ago. I can't remember who it was against... I think we lost maybe three player, two or three players in the opening te- uh, 20 minutes, something like that. It was away from home in the FA Cup or the Carabao Cup. I can't was remember. It Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, it could have been Sheffield Wednesday. And it was one of those games where you went, ah, look, here. When shit like this happens in the opening 20 minutes of a game and you're forced into two substitutions, it really does make life difficult for a manager because, you know, there were there are consequences to making two substitutions in in the first half. And I do think that that played a part in in how the rest of this game played out. You know, I'm not saying that it was the only reason we didn't go through, but no manager expects to make two changes, two defensive changes either in the opening 20 minutes. And that absolutely shifts the landscape in terms of what you can do from the bench for the rest of the game. Yeah, because you have to manage the game more carefully, right? I mean, we saw with Jesus, you know, coming off at half time, the initial whispers were that Arsenal were looking to get an hour from him. Yeah, but they couldn't risk it um, because then he would he would only have you know one more opportunity to to make substitutes in the second half. So. Yeah, I mean, the fact is we could have got another injury like five minutes into the second half. Somebody else picks up an injury and you have to replace that player. And all of a sudden, Gabriel Jesus has got to do 90 minutes. And and like he's not ready for that. We we wanted him to get, you know, good 60 minutes into him. But that's too much of a risk, isn't it? So you have to do the sensible thing at halftime and take him off. Completely. And, you know, there was also a nervy moment when Gabriel went down in the second half after clearing... Um, you know, skewing that clearance into the crowd. And then it was just like, Jesus Christ, you know, Eric Ten Hag's, you know, pinning a, a voodoo doll somewhere in uh, on the way back from, from Seville. Um, it's just like some, some nights it just, it just happens, you know? And I think having made changes anyway into the side, there's a, there's a normal lack of cohesion that comes with that. Um, but to make two changes in the first half, both in the back four, I just felt like Arsenal were always playing catch up. Mm. You know, I don't, I, I, I never felt like they, 
were settled and balanced in 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 terms of their relationships on the pitch and in midfield something just felt a little bit off in terms of the athletic profiles um and you know the relationships that have been built this season whether that's uh Ben White and Saka and Odegaard on the right um Partey and Zinchenko in midfield they were all absent you know so mm. And that's not to take anything away from Sporting, who I thought were very brave to give them credit. I thought they were pressing really well. I think they identified some weaknesses in our midfield um, and really tried to capitalise on those. You know, and I, I have a lot of time for Ruben Amarim as a coach. Uh, I don't think he'll be there for very long. So, so look, I can't really complain, you know, that it was unjust. I thought they were well worth progression over the two legs, even if their goalkeeper... Uh, Adan did play very well, but for me, it was just a a weird halfway house of of Arsenal trying to take the game seriously, but also seeing there's a, a bigger picture at hand, and also the changes, the injuries, just just threw yeah. us off. I think, and to a level that we couldn't really recover. It is really hard to know, you know, from a player's perspective, how much, if at all, the bigger picture, if you like plays into a performance like that because once you're out on that pitch I think your competitive nature as a professional football player means you want to win the game um the second half though from an Arsenal perspective was really uncharacteristically sloppy Mikel Arteta on on BT Sport afterwards talking about how we didn't win any jewels, and we know how much he does not like it when we don't win jewels. But he was right. You know, there was a carelessness, a sloppiness. I don't know if it was a physical thing, a mental thing, just one of those little periods that a team can go through that are kind of inexplicable in a way because you know they're better than that. You know they're capable of more. But in that opening 15 minutes of the second half, we didn't win tackles. We didn't win duels. When we intercepted the ball, we gave it straight back to sporting. And I think, you know, as much as nobody really wants to hear it, I did think they played really well last night. I thought they're, you know, mm -hmm. after they're a better side than I thought they were from the first leg. Um, and you have to give the opposition credit sometimes. But it's very hard to explain why players who, even with changes, even with injuries, you know, are training together every day, who know the patterns, who know the movements, who know where they're supposed to be on the pitch, who are technically, you know, excellent, pretty much every single player on that pitch, you, why they couldn't string two or three passes together, why they couldn't, when sporting relinquish possession, you know, why didn't they just put their foot on the ball and just, you know, go back, start again, start those patterns from the back like you've been doing all season long? It's very difficult to explain why that happens. Yeah, I mean, this team now, the way Arteta wants to play, is built on every player being able to win their their one-on-ones, mm. win their battles, um, because sometimes you will be left in space. Sometimes you will have to um, be isolated out wide or, or in midfield and, and you are relied on in those situations to win your duels. Mm. And there was just too many times yesterday where we didn't. Um, and that I I look at midfield again. I, to be fair, I thought Jacker was, was good yesterday, um, particularly in the first half. 
I'm, I was looking for more from Fabio Vieira just to provide some technical security. I yeah. think that midfield ate him up a bit. And it's a shame because I, I personally found him turning a corner um, in terms of how he was not only playing in this Arsenal side, but his standing in general had increased. I think he began to earn the trust of Arteta a bit more. You could see the change for Xhaka coming in at the left eight a little bit more regularly. He was mm. getting into the side. Um, he struggled, didn't he? He found I, a tough yeah, goal last night, I, yeah. I think that the pace of the game and the physicality of their midfield really ate him up yesterday. And what Odegaard can do technically is is so underrated. You know, his ability to manipulate the ball, keep the ball uh, in those tight spaces in particular, but also his engine. I, I really trust Odegaard physically to cover the ground both mm. offensively and defensively in transitions. And... I just, I, they swallowed him up. They swallowed Vieira up yesterday. And it's a shame because I think he was giving, given an opportunity to really stamp his authority on that game yesterday. And he couldn't do it. I mean, Jorginho as well. We know that there's a drop-off from Thomas Partey um, defensively. Um, and if he doesn't make that initial gamble, that initial interception where he tries to nip in front, there is so much space behind it. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. think sporting were just getting in time and time again. Um, and, you know, little things like that, they make a difference, you know? So it's a shame. It's a shame, but I just found the level, the mental and physical level just a little bit off, but those margins are all it takes. Yeah, um, I think sporting had to put everything into that game because because their season relied on it. And and you could see it. And Arsenal's minds, they were somewhere else. I mean, even Bakayo Saka, when he came on, did he get out of second gear? Look, it's hard to know. It's hard to know. And would you blame him? No, I mean, him? not that I, it's not a question of blame. It's just more, um, I think games can go in a certain direction, you know? And you're right to point out that, that Odegaard, ahead of Vieira, you know, you you know what you're going to get from Odegaard. We don't really know what we're going to get yet from Fabio Vieira. And I've seen a lot of talk about him today, a lot of criticism of him today. And I think that's reasonable on the basis that he didn't play well last night. I think he found it tough going. I think you're right to say he was sort of eaten up by um, a more dynamic sporting midfield. But it doesn't have to be the end of Fabio Vieira because uh, this could be just a learning moment for him. It could be a learning moment for him as a player, a learning moment for Mikel Arteta as a, as the coach as well, you know, how and when he can use Vieira and in what circumstances. And I think that might be, uh, might be evident over the course of the rest of the season. Um, mm -hmm. The goal that they scored came from one of those moments where we were a bit sloppy in midfield, where, it looked like we were going to get hold of the ball. There was a missed tackle. And then all of a sudden, Gonçalves does something uh, amazing, I think. H how do you view this one? Because I'm pretty sure that if an Arsenal player scored that goal, the, uh, the Arsenal fans would be raving about the quality of that strike and wouldn't be saying a word about the opposition goalkeeper. Of course, when it's your goalkeeper that gets diddled from 46 yards... Uh, it, it's a different perspective. So how do you view the quality of that strike versus Ramsdale's culpability, especially when you consider how we ask 
Ramsdale to play. You know, he is asked to be off his line, to be dominant, to come out to make ch- uh, ch- challenges and interceptions and things like that. So it's one of those one in a hundred moments where the opposition player pulls off something really very, very good and it it catches you out because of that. No, no issues for me from from Ramsdale. I think it's just an unbelievable piece of of execution and and skill from from Pedro Gonzalez, who's a really good player. Mm. Um, and I'm surprised that nobody's tried to take him from Sporting uh, before because I think his output is is quite incredible when you consider where he plays. Um, yes, my my gripe would be the initial uh, phase of play. Yeah. Um, I think Jorginho was weak in the initial duel and then Xhaka was a little bit clumsy um, trying to trying to save his mate. Mm-hmm. Um, but to go for it from there, to not only trust your your own ability, um, you know, and your and your skill to to execute that, but it, it dips like centimeters under the crossbar. Yeah. You know, and if he tries that again. 10, 15, 20, 25 times, I, I don't think he puts it in that spot again, genuinely. Yeah, I agree. It's just such an, it's, it's such an incredible piece of individual play. Um, and I get it. As the, the team who have conceded the goal, you always look to your, to your players and your side for criticism, you know, whether it's a, a, a long-range strike, why don't we close him down quickly enough? You know, if it's uh, a set piece, it can't be a good delivery. It has to be, we were sleeping, Mm. you know? And I just think sometimes you have to look at um, a piece of play and just say, you know what, fair play to even try that. It's an incredible, um, you know, it's an incredible attempt. And to execute that in that environment away from home, um, I don't even think Ramsdale was too far off his line. To no, I don't think so either, because he got um, back. It's just the precision and the dip on, on that shot, which is absolutely yeah, outstanding. Yeah, it's a perfect shot from that distance. Yeah. You know? And I know they had the majority of the play, but I, they didn't create that much in no. terms of um, calling Ramsdale into action. I thought Arsenal had, had created much more on the night. We called their... Um, you know, Adan was the busier of the two. Um, but sometimes you can't legislate for that. And sometimes when it's in a, a game like this, when you're away from home, you need some bits to go for you. And that was just a stunning piece of play. Genuinely, if, if uh, Martin Odegaard had scored that, we wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't be able to shut up about it. So yeah. I'm going to have to give uh, Gonçalves his flowers for that. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Ramsdale did make a good save from Marcus Edwards. Uh, catching yeah, that's it a huge save. straight yeah. in the mm-hmm. face. Uh, I know that's not the most um, conventional save, if you like. It's not like his reflexes, you know, but he made himself big, and that's what you've got to do as a goalkeeper in that situation. Make yourself big. Um, Arteta brought on Partey and Saka. I think Partey gave us a bit more control, but we go into extra time. And I think extra time, for me, if you're looking at this game and and having regrets, I think this is the period of the game where you can look at that from an Arsenal perspective and and really think that because there were chances. And again, we have to give the goalkeeper huge credit because I think that save from Trossard is outstanding. Oh, it's Uh, unbelievable. It really is. Because like even 
10% off that and it just trickles inside the post rather than hits the post. It's a brilliant save. There's a Rob Holding header, um, which goes over the bar from close range. Perhaps he should do better there, but, you know, it's one of those where the timing, it's so quick, he attacked that ball really well and it could easily thump the back of the net as, as much as, as go over. And then again, late in the game, there were uh, there were chances, the same from Gabriel's header, That's such a good header from Gabriel at the back post. I mean, it's a proper loaf of a header, isn't it? The way he sort of mm-hmm. tilts his head at that. Again, Adan makes a very good save. A couple of minutes later, there's one cleared off the line. I think, again, it was from Gabriel from a, from a set piece. So, you know, those are the moments where on a different night, one of those goes in and you're not talking about penalties. You're not talking about heartbreak. You're talking about who are we going to play in the, in the next round. Yeah, and it's what you said a bit earlier on. Sometimes it's just not your night and things were falling into place a little bit for sporting as the game went on. Mm. Um, and as soon as it went to penalties, I thought, Jesus Christ, um, this goalkeeper is going to... Um, he's going to get the the fairy tale, the storyline. You know, I, yeah. I could just see it coming from a mile away. And again, they deserve credit because a lot of their senior players were off at that point. I think Sporting really struggled to replicate their performance from the from the ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of teenagers on the pitch. Eighteen years old, uh, a midfielder came on. Nineteen year old striker came on. So, so for them to to see it out is is quite an incredible achievement, really. But yeah, the penalties. Yeah, I I know you wrote about it a bit this morning. Mm. For me, Ramsdale should be saving one, and which, probably which two. one? The one he gets the, the strong one. hands to? Yeah, yeah, the third one for me. He's got to be pushing that aside. Um, and it's strange because we, we don't have much precedent with uh, penalties in, in general at Arsenal, mm. um, let, even so with this team. But I don't know, I, I didn't feel so confident in, in Ramsdale. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, he hasn't saved a penalty yet for Arsenal. There have been no. a couple that have been missed, I think, the Bruno y- Fernandes Yes, Bruno one. Fernandes, yeah. Um, I don't know I d- whether that was just my my state in that particular moment. I, d- I didn't really feel confident in him being able to step up there. And I think that might be a bit unfair because he's been very good recently. But just in that situation, in, in that shootout, I didn't find myself... Um, yeah, so confident in his ability to stop one. I'm not sure how you felt. Um, I mean... I don't agree. Mikel Arteta said afterwards, you know, went to penalties. It's a lottery. It's not a lottery. Penalties is a, a test of skill and mm-hmm. character and steel and nerve and all the things that you want to you want to talk about. But particularly for the players who take the penalties. Um, I mean, I think Martinelli's penalty, the one that saved, is actually a poor penalty. I think that's a poorer penalty than any of the Ramsdale non-saves, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. But there was certainly more discussion of Ramsdale that I could see than discussion of Martinelli's miss. The thing is, with a goalkeeper, they are the one player who potentially can be the real hero of a, of a penalty shootout, right? Because they can stop a couple and then all of a sudden the momentum is, is with it, uh, is with you. I mean, he got close. Maybe if you do get that close, you should do better. 
you know, certainly with the third one where he went the right way and I thought he'd saved it at first, but it just sort of squirted in. But then as somebody pointed out to me on Twitter, if Ramsdale had gone the wrong way for every single penalty, there wouldn't be the same level of discussion. So I don't know how you find how you find the balance or draw the line between, okay, he nearly got there a couple of times and maybe should have done better versus a goalkeeper who, you know, doesn't get near any of them. I don't think he gets the same kind of criticism this morning if all of them go in different sides of the goal and he goes the other way. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I find that argument quite difficult because we could just say, oh, if Trossard shot 10 centimetres lower and it didn't hit the goalkeeper's hand, then it would have been a goal. No, I know, you know, I know, I know, I know. But it's just sort of, as a goalkeeper, you're right in the spotlight. And I suppose the thing is, is that you are... The expectation is on the taker in a penalty shootout yes. more than the goalkeeper. That's sort of what I'm saying. Yeah, completely. Um, I, I just felt that he got enough on that one in particular to to push it wide, but also the one that kind of squirmed under him as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. On another day, he might save them. It, at the end of the day, it's 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 such fine margins. And in those situations where you're really being tested, your mental resolve um, mm. it's fine. Look, these things happen, but it, it was just, you know, we, di- we didn't make the save and, and they did. So it's a huge shame. I think to go all that way, as we said earlier and, and lose mm. is, is kind of devastating because you are, it, if we lost in 90 minutes, I think this would have been easier to, to compartmentalize. Maybe for me, it would have been, um, because as the game goes on, the more you invested, you get. And but and we've, we were yeah sorry go on so, sorry go on no, no I was just going to say because of extra time and the chances that we had in extra time and and you know it felt like it was this close for us to to get there and get that win you know yeah yeah exactly um, but I think if we were to pick a time to maybe go out I'm looking at this game and I think well okay better to do it now than than in the semi final for example where a lot more exertion you know, mental and physical would have been required from from this team. I do not disagree with that. Um, and that sort of brings us full circle to what we were talking about, uh, you know, at the start is you never want to lose. But when you look at what's left of this season, when you look at the schedule that we have, uh, and we talked about this a little bit, you know, on, on other podcasts, when you look at the schedule, you've got Liverpool away, Man City away, Newcastle away, and potentially those games taking place when you've had a European away in the same week and the physical demands of that. I mean, the reality is, as hard as it is to uh, lose a penalty shootout, as disappointing as it is to lose any game of football, there is a physical benefit to going out of Europe when it comes to what remains of the Premier League season. And this is why Man City can go as far as they want into the Champions League. Um, I'm not saying that it guarantees us anything at all. But, you know, when you lose two players in the opening 20 minutes of a Europa League game, and then you think about what potentially could happen in other Europa League games. And of course, look, this could happen in a Premier League game as well. It's not specific to Europe. But when you think about recovery time, when you think about 
preparation time for games, when you think about the opposition uh, or the team that's fighting for the title with you, perhaps a little more focused on winning the Champions League for the first time than winning the Premier League again. I'm not saying they're taking anything for granted. This is the this is the moment where you as a football fan or we as football fans, we seek those silver linings. And it's not excusing anything, and I'm not telling anybody they shouldn't be disappointed or they shouldn't be upset or angry about last night because everyone can feel the way they want to feel about a game of football. But in the cold light of day, we're out. We've got to put that to one side. We can't dwell on it. We've got to just sort of consign it to history and deal with what comes next. And what comes next are 11 really tough Premier League games, but that's it. So there's a, there's a sort of clarity of focus that we have to tap into now because we know what's at stake and we know what we're playing for. Completely agree. Um, and I think as time's gone on this season, as the weeks have passed, it's clear or it's become clear to me that not only are all our eggs in the Premier League basket, but the whole chicken coop, mm. you know? And yes, it would have been amazing to to rewrite some wrongs in this competition, to bring European success to, let's be honest, a club that has underperformed in Europe um, for a long time now, I think. Mm. And I'm I'm desperate to see us uh, do well in Europe one day. But maybe this season's, you know, this season's not that season. Um, you know, I just think, as you said, the clarity of of goal and objective is so clear now. Um, and I think what Arsenal have done this season is put so much emotional and physical expenditure into these Premier League games that having no distractions, full weeks rest in between games on most occasions can only be good, mm. you know, for this team. Because what I saw yesterday was a team not ready to compete on two fronts, you know, mentally and physically. I didn't see it. And mm. I, I think... We've strengthened the squad. We've raised the floor of this squad. The ceiling has shot up. But in terms of where we are in our in our stage and our development, I still think we're a little bit short to manage two competitions. So ultimately, I'm disappointed. But the goal, the dream, the objective is so clear now. And the team can only benefit from that because they're every single minute spent at that training ground and on the pitch is directed towards one goal. Mm. Um, and that will be hopefully be being drilled into them um, as, as the days go by and as the weeks go by, uh, by Mikel Arteta. Yeah. Just very finally, how confident are you that the players and the manager will be able to put this behind them quickly because they've got to do it quickly because Crystal Palace are coming on on Sunday. Mm -hmm. They have this season, I think, responded well to setbacks. And this is, you know, a setback uh, because losing in, in any competition when you're trying to instill this, this winning culture, it's going to be painful because the manager wants them to win. The players want to win. Um, but go back a few weeks and think about how we felt after we lost against Manchester City. 3-1, and there was a lot of talk about, mm, are Arsenal going to be able to respond to this? Are they ready for this? Then we go and win five Premier League games in a row. 
the same kind of has to apply now. I know there are going to be some issues for this Sunday in terms of injuries and fatigue. And again, we'll talk about those uh, in our preview podcast because we'll have a bit more of an idea who's going to be available, who's going to be ready or, or not. But they have to just get on with it and, and show that they're they're capable of dealing with disappointment and dealing with defeat and the physical and just not least the physical challenge of of top flight football yeah and i i think they have done you know yeah. you mentioned the the city defeat and the run afterwards the same thing happened at old trafford we lost there we went on a winning run afterwards again i think this team have shown that they've got mental capacity to to fight you know we've seen it in the last minute winners we've seen it when we've had to grind out some away wins um, I feel a lot more confident in our ability to do that. And Sunday's huge because a bad result on Sunday and you've got time to stew. Mm. Um, and that is probably the worst thing that can happen. You know, I, I think it's imperative that we really try our best to put this defeat behind us. We see another home game against opposition who have struggled for me, you have to go straight for the jugular. And I know defensively, we've been a little bit shaky at home. Again, another two goals conceded. Um, but that Sunday is crucial. Um, and I think whatever happens with Palace and their new manager and, and a potential new manager bounce, mm -hmm. what's happened in midweek with injuries, a disappointing defeat. You know, Martinelli's going to have to deal with some, some penalty heartbreak. That all needs to be left behind. Um, and a win on Sunday with 10 games to go after that, it's massive, you know, and I just think we need to find a way to, to do it. And I, I trust this team to do it. I, I, I have no reason for, um, for them not to give me a, a feeling of confidence. You know, I've seen it enough this year, what we can do. Um, it's just about getting over the line. Um, and, and we'll see, let's cross our fingers on some injuries. Um, and we'll get some updates from that in, in due course, but that's it. Three points on Sunday is the only thing that matters. Agreed. And, uh, and, and we'll have to see if we can do it. I hope we can. I believe we can. And it's just about putting this uh, disappointing night behind us. All right. Well, look, let's keep fingers crossed that we, we can do that. I think a, a win on Sunday against Crystal Palace would ease quite a lot of the pain of, of this particular defeat. Uh, for now, we leave it there, Phil. Thanks a million as always. Thank you. And here's to being eight points clear on Monday. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you very much indeed to Phil. You can find him on Twitter. He is at underscore Phil Costa, at underscore Phil Costa. Right. I'm going to leave it there for this particular episode. Thank you very much, as always, for being here. If you're one of our Patreon members, keep an eye out for a bit of an announcement later on this afternoon regarding a live event that, of course, you will get first dibs on because you are one of our Patreon members. That should be happening a little bit after lunchtime. We will have a preview podcast, as I said, uh, on Saturday afternoon. I'm heading over for the Crystal Palace game, so I'll be in London Saturday afternoon. We'll record part of that there to put together with the other part, which uh, I'm going to do very shortly now with Dan from HLTCO. So we'll have some Crystal Palace perspective on the uh, dismissal of Patrick Vieira. Like I said, that's available for you Saturday afternoon. For now, though, take it easy, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Today is St. Patrick's Day, and I'm often asked, how can I do an authentic Irish accent without sounding like a leprechaun trying to sell shit cereal or some so-called comedian exacerbating offensive stereotypes on Saturday Night Live? Well, I'm here to help in one simple lesson. First, just don't. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.